Fill her up. You're listening to the Gas Digital Network. What up, what up, what up, podcast party people? I'd make a good announcer at a strip club. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage, Candy. You know I would. I'd make a fucking awesome, awesome announcer at a strip club. You know, the guy who fucking announces the chicks as they come to the stage to strip. And for you to throw dollar bills on them and make a ring. I'd be good. I got I got a great voice for that. It's probably why I'm a singer. It's probably why I'm the singer in Machine Head. I should just start talking like I'm the... Uh, like all of my stage raps in Machine Head should be like, Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to play Ten Ton Hammer. Please welcome to the stage... Vog Chiotica. Vog. Imagine if I had a if there was a stripper named Vog. <laughs> that stripper wouldn't make very much money, I bet. They probably wouldn't make much money at all. <clears throat> Man, my throat's a little rough today. I just got off of a three hour podcast with Doc Coyle. It went good. Bad wolves, God forbid. And uh Wolves, isn't it funny that Doc's been in two bands that have three letters in the first word and six letters in the second word? Bad wolves, God forbid. That's just a random anecdote that I came up with there. I just thought of that. I just thought of that. I unfortunately just got the news that Johnny Z just passed away, which I was pretty sad to hear. Johnny Z signed Metallica to Megaforce Records and put out the Kill 'Em All album, put out Ride the Lightning, signed a gajillion, oh my God, so many Testament, Overkill, so many fucking bands to there. Signed my old band, my second band, Violence. Signed them for our second album, uh and it went pretty good and then we and then we were supposed to record our third album with them and then he dropped us. <laughs> we had a big meeting and I just remember like fucking eyeing him like fuck this motherfucker. <laughs> he was all you're just eyeing me. You just hate my guts, don't you? And I was like, I do. He's like fucking trying to change us. And uh but I've run into him many times since then, and he's a great guy. Fuck, man. Responsible for so much metal, dude. So much metal. Anthrax. I mean, Charlie Benante just put out a pretty cool post. I want to give Craig Boo a shout-out. Craig Boo sent it to me. Craig LeCicero. He sent me the news. Beating out Sean Glass, who usually sends me all of the news. But, uh... Yeah, what a bummer, man. Dude was, I mean, gave Metallica a career. I Who knows what would have happened if he wouldn't have 
sign them, put the money into them. We'd all be lost. Um, but yeah, the Doc Coyle interview went good. Good stuff. I'm uh, very stoked about this interview. Spencer Charnas. If you don't, I think I've talked about this already, but Ice Nine Kills. I'm pretty late to the Ice Nine Kills party. I got to be honest with you. But uh, I love them. I've like gone back and like just gone through the whole catalog and it's fucking great shit, man. But their new album, Welcome to Horrorwood, is excellent. Very excellent. Yeah, good stuff. What else is going on? What else is going on? I officially, so I've been doing Sober January. I regret to say that I did not make it to February. I fell off the weekend right at the end. Right at the end. And so did Jared, too. We didn't make it into, we just we just about got there. We're like, fuck it, it's the end of January. It's close enough. Close enough, for God's sakes. And I was talking to somebody. Somebody wrote in, though. Somebody was like, I made it three weeks. Let me Let me find their email. Let me find their email here because they wrote in there. I was like, dude, I made it three weeks. It was good enough for me. Let me see. Uh, where, where, they must have, I don't have sent it to something else. I don't remember. Well, shit. And then Steve Sintes Jr. wrote in about naked shitting. Rob, I confess when I'm home, I naked shit. Thank you for all the hard work you're doing. Keep up the work. Steve Michael Sintes Jr. Thank you for sharing that, Steve Sintes. I appreciate that. Not very many of you were able. James Goodsell wrote one, but it didn't really have anything to do with naked shitting. It was just kind of a random story that I don't know. I it's too long to read, but it was it was a funny story. Something about public toilets, fear of public toilets. Tell you what, I remember one time I went to go take a shit in a public toilet, and there was a fucking giant ass spider right under the toilet seat not, I mean not under the toilet seat but under the like on the inside of the toilet bowl and on the like where the water comes out of that little area there and I went to sit down and then just out of the corner of my eye started turning around I saw something down I was like what the fuck is that and I looked and it was this huge fucking spider under the fucking rim of the toilet bowl oh for a good year, I was so freaked out about that. I would like always go in and like way over inspect the toilet bowl before I took a shit. And I'm on fucking tour all the time. You know, it's like a, it's a new toilet bowl every day. In fact, it's multiple new toilet bowls often every day. So, yeah, that was my experience with that. Maybe you've had that experience too. Spider under the toilet bowl stories. Send them to no effing regrets podcast at gmail.com. I'll read them. Leave your comments here in the fucking comments on YouTube. You can leave it in the super chat. Sometimes I go, I go through that, but not all the time. I usually don't. It's more, I, I read the comments more than anything. If I even do that, don't always even do that. Um, let's see what else is going on. Yeah, so we got drunk. Me and the sugar pie got drunk. We had a little. We had a little date night. It was not really a date night. We kicked it in the garage for a little while. It was actually kind of a warm day. It's been really cold in the mornings. Really cold in the mornings, but it's been kind of nice in the afternoon. I wish it would rain, but 
I guess we're going to have another drought year again here in California. And, uh, yeah, we kicked it in the garage for a little while, put up candles and we were good. And I had a little space heater on, but then just got too code, man, too code. So we went back in and then we watched, uh, we're, we're watching succession right now, that TV show succession, which is, I guess, loosely based on the Murdochs. Rupert Murdoch is the owner of Fox News, and it's based on the whole Murdoch family. And, uh, man, there's so much backstabbing and trying to take over the country, you know, the company, and um, it's just nuts. And uh, pretty good. it's pretty good. It kind of glamorizes the Murdochs, which I'm not a fan of because they don't need glamorizing, but it's uh, it's well done. It's entertaining. Definitely entertaining. And then we're watching, oh my God, yawn attack. Random yawn attack. We're watching Peacemaker, which I talked about last week. And then we started Game of Thrones for the third time, maybe even the fourth time now. We started Game of Thrones again. And uh, we're watching it with my youngest son. So Geneva and I already watched it once. Then we watched, yeah, this is the fourth time. And then we watched it twice. And then we watched it with our oldest son. But most of that was done with just Ginevra and him. And then now we're watching uh, Game of Thrones from the beginning. Season one with Y Guy Wyatt, a.k.a. Y Guy Hassan Fafwa, a.k.a. The Spunkadouge, a.k.a. Scrunchy Munchy, a.k.a. when he's being grumpy, the grumpa moose. And, uh, and he's digging it. You know, he's kind of like, of the age where he's into it already, you know, <laughs> that first season's already got lots of sex in it. It was like, all right, close your eyes. Okay. You're 15. You don't need to close your eyes, but it's still weird. <laughs> Awkward. Awkward. But, uh, yeah, so we're doing that. I, uh, we've been building a rock wall. I think I talked about this last week, but I'll talk about it again. Cause I'm pretty proud of it. We're building a rock wall in the backyard and it looks pretty dope. We got some big fatty fucking rocks. But then we got some small rocks and and kind of these like uh, centerpiece rocks just to kind of give it like some added dimension so everything isn't the same. Holy fuck, though, these things. It's like 1,500 pounds of rocks I've been carrying up this little side hill. And uh, me and my son had to carry the big, the big, big rock that we bought. Holy fuck, it was heavy as shit. You know, my son's 6'4". He's working out every day. He's big glute, super strong and Dude, it kicked our ass doing this fucking rock. But it was good. That was my workout. I haven't been, I've been slacking off on my workout, my workout routine. I got sober for January and my workout routine went to shit because I've been in the studio and mixing and fucking mastering and rehearsing and podcasting. And I need to get back on my grind, man. But I still, at least I'm doing, at least I'm carrying 1,500 pounds of rocks uphill. And so that's, that's a pretty good workout. It's pretty, pretty legit, dude. Pretty legit. Um, what else? Oh, I know what I wanted to do. I know what I wanted to do. Anyway, I was on TikTok the other day, and now I'm I'm not really I don't really post on TikTok. Like I'm not good at TikToking, but the people who are good are fucking great. Like so fucking funny. And uh, dude, this dude. I fucking la- I've watched this thing now like four times. It makes me fucking 
laugh so hard every time I do it. And men, you're going to know what I'm talking about. If you've got a girlfriend or you're married, if you're a single guy, you're not going to know what I'm talking about because you're going to be like, oh, my God, what I would do for you. But, and if you're brand new with your girlfriend, you're like, oh, my God, that's totally not fair because I'm so in love with my girlfriend. But if you've been with your girlfriend for like a year or two, or you've been married for a few years, oh my God, you're going to know exactly what this motherfucker is talking about. Listen to this shit. Oh, hey, honey. I just got home from work. You have a house project for me to work on? Awesome. I love working all day and then coming home and working all night as well. Nothing I'd rather do every single night than work on some more work. <laughs> I love when you tell me how to drive. It makes me feel super safe. Plus, I've been in zero accidents and you've been in four just this year, so you're totally qualified to tell me how to drive. <laughs> Hi, honey. Yes, so glad you called. I actually was just thinking about how much work I have to get done today, and I could totally use a call from my wife. No, I love giving you a back rub while you cry. I'm actually really glad that you've rejected all six of my solutions I propose. The best option is just to keep crying about it. You're doing a great job with directions. Keep forgetting to tell me where to turn and which exit to take. Oh my it's God. super helpful. Hey, honey, I'm just looking at the you. bank statements. So I love true. that you are spending $9 on a drink at Starbucks every day. There's no way you could make the same coffee for a fraction of the price here at home. <laughs> yes, I would like to hang out with your family instead of my friends. They're way too fun anyways. You constantly gasping and pointing out things while I'm driving makes me feel super uneasy, which I love. You called me to tell which me that I you love. went through the drive-thru instead of going into Starbucks today? Wow, what riveting information. Glad that that couldn't have waited until tonight. Wow, thanks for cooking dinner again tonight. Yes, it was a little burnt. But I love eating burnt food. There's nothing more I'd rather eat than a burnt piece of lasagna. No, I don't have a secret stash of food in the garage for when you burn dinner. And I'm definitely not about to make up an excuse to go out to the garage so I can indulge in that secret stash of food. Nope. Nope. You know what? You're right. We should remodel the kitchen again. We've only done it three times since we moved in. I'm getting sick of these brand new countertops as well. I would love to watch The Bachelor instead of Monday Night Football oh tonight. Especially because everyone on that show is super rational and doesn't need any therapy. No, no, no. Keep ram. God, so fucking funny, man. I'm going to stop my share right now because that is just fucking too goddamn classic. I shared that on my Instagram. If you want to watch the rest of it, it's pretty fucking funny. Some great shit. Husbands, you'll know what the fuck I'm talking about. Because I love working on more work. All right, here we go. My guest is Spencer Charnis from the fucking mighty Ice Nine Kills. I love their latest record. It's so fucking good. But I'm going to take you back. To the old shit right here. We're going to go back in time. 2010, Safe is Just a Shadow. Check this shit out. Turn the 
This is a song, you know, they always have like a very horror theme, so this is a song called Let's Bury the Hatchet in Your Head. Let's bury the hatchet in your head. Yeah. All right, let's get it to the vocals. And then here also off of the album, The Predator Becomes the Prey. This dude's voice is so good. The fastest way to a girl's heart is through her chi- through her rib cage. Communion of the Cursed off of every trick in the book. But then the big breakthrough for them came with this record called The Silver Scream. And here's the opening track The American Nightmare. It's a banger, dude. Banger. Here's the new record, though. This is called Welcome to Horrorwood, The Silver Scream 2. There's a little intro.
So much genre mashing up. Speaking of Doc Coyle, he's the one who turned me on to this band. A shout out to Doc. Some good shit. Here's a killer song, though. This is one of my jams off of here. Assault and Batteries. Breaking news. A deadly shootout at a local toy store has left one son's doll is possessed. I can't even. This is going to be so good live. Take Your Pick, featuring George from Cannibal Corpse. Feature Corpse Grinder. So anyway there, ladies and gentlemen, Ice Nine Kills frontman, the mighty, mighty Spencer Charnas on No Fucking Regrets. Spencer Charnas, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Rob. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, dude, this is, I'm super stoked to have you on. Hey, by the way, congrats on the Metallica Las Vegas show. That's sick, dude. Thank you, man. That was uh, a sort of a mind-blowing moment when we got that call. Our agent called us up and he's like, Hey, do you want to uh, do a, a gig uh, at, at the Raiders Stadium with uh, Metallica? I was like, <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I didn't hear you correctly. What? Is that like a Metallica tribute band or something? <laughs> and it was just one of those moments for me that was like absolutely surreal. Um, I saw Metallica, you know, when I was probably 11 or so uh, on the Load album cycle. And uh, I remember that concert so vividly. I went with my dad. Uh, was at where the Bruins and Celtics play. And it was just, it was one of those like formative concerts that, that like totally contributed to me wanting to play music. So to get that call was amazing. Yeah. That's, a, that's awesome. That's awesome. Now I, I'm right. sure you guys got, is it in the round? We're still, we're still waiting to hear exactly how it's set up. Cause I know that a lot of the shows were done in the round so they could, yeah. you know, they could all switch the mics and, go from um, different points on the stage. But I have seen some shows of the, theirs recently where if they're doing a stadium or a ballroom, it is like towards the side of it. The regular, up. The regular yeah. setup, yeah. The regular setup. And we actually, we played with them just a couple of months ago on one of those big uh, uh, Danny Wimmer festivals. We played on the same stage and 
we got to watch them and they still just crush it. Um, and that was really cool. But but for this show where it's just, you know, us and Greta Van Fleet and Metallica is is uh, really special. Right, right. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm not a big Greta Van Fleet fan, I got to say. Yeah, you know, I uh, I was never really a huge Led Zeppelin fan. And I think they're very similar, but they're they're so young and they are talented. Yeah. I mean, they're killing it. Like, fuck it. I'm like an, I'm an Island in the middle of the ocean here with people, you know, when it comes to that, cause everybody I know is like, Oh my God, they're so fucking good. How do you not like it? I'm like, it just sounds like Led Zeppelin. You know, like, but are you, are you a Led Zeppelin fan or no? I'm yeah. Like I like Led Zeppelin, but you know, it's not the greatest thing to me. I just think it's funny to hear like, 20 year old dudes talking about like girl we're gonna make love i'm like make love like when was the last time anybody 20 years old talked like that i've been trying to bring back make love for years it's not it's not taken yeah i mean i think i think see when your your song titles though about love are what i connect with you know the best way to a girl's heart is through her rib cage yes that's what i'm talking like that's That's true love that is that's true love yeah (laughs) that That's is. actually a quote from the Crypt Keeper. I was a very big fan of Tales from the Crypt growing up. It would be one of those shows that I have to have to like sneak around the house to watch because they would, you know, there was there would always be a set of boobs in yes. every Tales from the Crypt yes. episode. And uh, you know, I don't know if that's the reason it was my favorite show, but um, the Crypt Keeper always had these like really nice quips and puns, and uh, I think that rubbed off on me. And and that's a, a quote from the Crypt Keeper. So got to give it up to. Tales yeah, from the Crypt. Yeah. And you know, like horror movies don't have enough boobs now, do they? They don't. They're, it's like completely void of uh, of boobs. What Although, happened? What happened? I don't know. I missed the memo. I didn't get the, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with that, but I think they were definitely better with a little bit of nudity. Although some of the shows on like Netflix and HBO, I think they're making up for it. They're not horror shows, but damn, there's a lot of nudity. I was just watching this show euphoria last night and it was like almost a smut film yeah we're watching we're what me and my wife are watching the same we're watching euphoria too we're on a big kick with that unbelievably well shot so fucking awesome it's awesome it really is yeah it's a great you know it's i like how they build the i was the one we were just watching was the one where um the crazy the the girl goes over to the one the drug dealer's house that's got that lives with the little kid and then that super gangstered out, face tatted up dude comes over and like gives her a little bit of fentanyl. Like that whole scene was just like I was fucking on the edge of my seat. I'm like Jesus. Like I didn't even realize I was that like tensed up watching it. And then I like checked myself. I was like, holy fuck, that was intense, man. It's really well done. Like the storytelling, um, the narration over it, like every shot. It's almost like too much sometimes. It's, it's so intense with the interesting camera angles and cinematography um but i it's really great i'm excited to finish it off yeah it seems like a lot of those netflix shows now it's like they don't really have as many boobs but they have a lot of cocks <laughs> i did notice an excessive uh, amount of dick there is a lot of, there's a lot of dick being shown and ju- we just wa- we're watching uh the righteous gemstones which is uh, john goodman it's awesome if you haven't seen it yeah and I just, every episode is just like three cock. You're like, oh, all right, already. <laughs> Danny McBride is awesome. Dude, so good. He's so He's funny. Yeah. And John Goodman, obviously. 
I've uh, I've only watched some of the first season, but it seems right up my alley. I love I love that stuff. Awesome. I uh, I want to congratulate you on fantastic record, man. Like a really just I I I turned got turned onto it from uh, Doc Coyle of uh, Bad Wolves. And he was like, he's like, you got to check this out. He told me them, a couple other bands too. But that one just, I hadn't really, I'd heard you guys' name, and I, but I just, for no reason in particular, hadn't dug into it. And I just, the record floored me, dude. It was just so fucking different and unique. And, you know, your voice has this super brutal quality to it, which I love. You know, very awesome death metal vocals and killer screeches. But then you've got this, you know, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I hear this like almost Gerard Way, Mike Hem type of clean vocal in there, which I'm massive, massive Mike Hem fan. So I don't know if that's is that. Am I hearing that correctly? Absolutely, and and thank you. That is an awesome compliment. And and when we somehow stumbled upon the fact that you posted about the album, we were all like texting back and forth, like Jesus Christ, Rob from Machine Head fucking loves it. Um, but yeah, I, I've always loved my cam and I think we probably, you know, have a lot of the same influences. Like I'm sure Gerard Way, I think I've heard, is a big like Broadway fan. So I've always loved like Les Miserables and Phantom of the Opera and and in terms of rock bands like that, that like Queen. I think they're very influenced by Queen. Um, so yeah, we, we love sort of mixing like the dichotomy of the really harsh like death metal vocals at times with like theatrical kind of wailing and uh yeah i i love the combination i'm, I'm so glad you liked it too yeah i mean you got a hell of a voice dude i mean to be able to just <laughs> flip back and forth between that it's crazy you know like did you have training or have you had training no you know i, I took um a few lessons back in like my youth and stuff but i never really you had regular <laughs> regular singing lessons i mean I, I i appreciate the comment i think you know I still got a lot to learn, um, but but thank you. I, I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, I was just wondering if you were maybe like a theater kid back in the day, you know, so like that's maybe where you got <laughs> the chops. I, I think I was at heart, but I never I never really did many like plays in school. I think the only plays I ever did was when it was like you had to do them. It was part of the curriculum. Right. And, and, and they would often make me like the star or something like that when I didn't ask for it. Um, I remember I played uh, Mordred in uh, King Arthur, which was like the the villain. Okay. Um, so I, I guess I was always typecast as the villain, so that that works for me. Um, but yeah, I think just you know singing in the shower, singing in my room, singing in the car, I think was one thing uh, I always did a ton of. You know, like listening to uh, you know old pop punk records, especially and like harmonizing along with them. I think that's where I kind of learned to do it by ear because I was never really classically trained and i don't know you know really about any music theory it's just all ear but um some of the other guys in the band are like super on point with musical theory and stuff so it's like kind of a nice combination to have some people when we're writing have that you know that added education about you know we're doing this here spencer you're actually doing this mode here and i don't know what right. the hell they're talking right. about <laughs> but it, it's nice to have um both sides of the coin yeah, you know. my uh, my engineer will point out. Oh, that's a whatever scale. I'm like, I just I think it sounds cool. <laughs> that's yeah, not, exactly. I have no idea what I'm doing. And so, and for whatever reason, like 
I'm always very often going towards, you know, the harmonic minor stuff. Yeah. Spencer, you're always doing this. You're always doing the harmonic minor. Why do you love it so much? I don't fucking know. It's just to my ear that that sounds good. Yeah. I mean, I don't even have like, I don't even call it harmonic minor. I'm like, it's the sad note or that's yeah. the happy note or that's the evil note. or you know, that's Exactly. The... I'm the same way. Yeah. The Egyptian note. The Egyptian note. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. Good stuff, man. What do you? So, what were you growing up listening to? Like, what are you? What are you singing along to? Like, is Green? I mean, Green Day's probably like around this time. Yeah, so it's probably so pretty while, good because you're singing like high and clean and very nasally, like all those. Like Blink was always like, all the small, small you know. things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the first band that I I really fell in love with that I could remember is Nirvana. So I was probably like eight seven or eight i got into it really early you know this was at the height of mtv being cool and you know that's what i would watch when i would get home from school and uh for whatever reason like when i saw smells like teen spirit like the whole vibe of that video like i just was like i gotta be kurt cobain i gotta get that sweater i gotta grow my hair long i gotta bleach it so you know and i went to like a, a very conservative like private school in marblehead massachusetts um called tower it was like sort of like the antithesis of, of like you know whatever the grunge scene was in seattle at the time you know you know a lot of polo pop collar um shirts and uh i was definitely the 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 like punk rock looking guy that would be in class and have bleached hair and you know a middle part um but like i got all my friends into the same kind of music and we would play at, at uh, like this thing called uh, band night every year they would have, and we'd look forward to it because every grade would like form their own band. And uh, that was like everything we looked forward to. So I remember the first year we played Dive by Nirvana and uh, Tomorrow by Silverchair. And oh, that wow. was like, yeah, so literally like, I have a video of it somewhere. I'm literally nine years old and I've got this like Yamaha Pacifica guitar that's bigger than me. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I was really into all that sort of alternative music back then, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, um, Pearl Jam. Then I also, like on the heavier side of things, always loved Metallica. Um, went to see Metallica when I was like 10 or 11. That's pretty amazing. Um, I mean, that's fucking young to be into all that type of music. Yeah, I was just, I gravitated towards it. You know, I had an older sister that was into it a little bit. And some of my friends, like older siblings were into it. And uh, I always just wanted to be older. When I was a kid, I always wanted to hang out with the older kids. And, um, and then I really started to get into punk, like the whole like Epitaph record scene, like No Effects, um, bands like Goldfinger, Less Than Jake, Real Big Fish, um, loved uh, like Corn. Like I went to the first Family Values tour in 98, Corn, uh, Limp Biscuit, Rammstein. Yeah. Ram yeah. Yeah. So that was 98. So I was, um, let's see, I was 12. Um, so I was into it from a very early age, man. And then uh, through high school, continued to like love drive through records and Finch and Census Fail and these post hardcore bands. Um, and then I got into really heavy stuff via like, you know, I think a gateway was like a Treyu and As I Lay Dying. Now I remember the first time I heard bands where it's like, oh shit, it's not just. A little bit of screaming he's just gonna scream the whole song right and that was there's like, no singing <laughs> there's no singing and and you know also seeing cannibal corpse and ace ventura 
when I was a little kid, I think also was like, holy shit, what is this? And, uh, you know, that's a full circle moment too, because we got uh, Corpse Grinder in one of the songs right, too. Right, that's a good song too. Thanks, man. Yeah, that, must um, have been, that must have been, you must have been stoked, right? Like, Oh my God, I was so stoked on that because that was just like a shot in the dark idea. You know, we've, we had never had a song before that didn't have a melodic chorus. So I was like, let's just do one that's super heavy and wouldn't it be cool to get someone like um, that, that like is the epitome of that kind of music and who, you know, this is a really gory song with like very kind of campy, gory lyrics and, and who better to represent that than Cannibal Corpse, like the kings of the gore uh, death metal. And uh, yeah, we're actually working on, and this is the first time I'll talk about it. So a little exclusive news. We're working on an animated video for that song. And we're gonna have an animated corpse grinder in it. So oh, badass! Fucking brutal. Awesome. I was just—I wrote out this little treatment. I sent it back to the director, and he sent me the like the finalized script. And it's like gouging the eye out on extra number one, ripping the jaw off with the pick. It's gonna be very <laughs> funny and brutal. It's cool because you could probably get way more violent than you could because most of these are going up on YouTube now. And YouTube, for what I why I have no idea, but they kind of yeah. like they've got like some you can't get too crazy or it's like what the fuck what the hell i mean yeah. just say the rating and you have to say you're 18 you know yeah. everyone's gonna like, be just, honest right? you click on the button i'm 18 you know like whatever yeah, yeah. there should be no censorship yeah no i uh, no, i think that'll be fun that should be fun yeah i'm excited about it are you uh i don't you know you mentioned silver chair i think that that's a band that uh that's a band that never you don't really hear, hear people name check silver chair a lot you know what i mean like when you but i think that you know like thinking to a kid your age you're 11 years old they're only six years older than you you know they were fucking they were really young like really way fucking than, young way younger than all the grunge bands and the seattle bands like they were fucking kids you know i think the drummer was 15 or something when they're you know touring that record so you know i i, I know a bunch of people who are about your age who are like fuck yeah that silver chair record man like i loved it back then yeah yeah, they were so young, and and that guy Daniel Johns, his voice, like, how does he have that voice? Yeah, he's fucking sixteen. Yes. And as, as I said, like, I was super into Nirvana, Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam, uh, Soundgarden, and they were they were kids that loved those bands. So I was like, oh, those guys look closer to my age, and they're playing this music, and they're on top of Radio City Music Hall. They played on top of the marquee for like oh, the right. MTV Music Awards. And I just love that band. Um, I love the really love the first two records, Frog Stump and uh, Freak Show. They were massive, and I think still are, even though I don't know if they're a band anymore in Australia. They yeah. were like Metallica over there, you know, right. Stadium. Um, so yeah, I definitely think they are underrated, and I, it's all, I always get a kick out of people that that like them as well. Was uh, was your family particularly musical? They weren't uh, musicians, but they, uh, my dad and my mom loved music. You know, when I would uh, go to hockey practice because I played hockey, my dad would always would always have everything from like Queen playing to like Cat Stevens. And my mom really loves like Les Miserables and like the Broadway kind of stuff. So I was always uh, listening to music from a very young age. They would take me to, to Broadway shows. I would see that. And when I started to develop my own taste for music, I would always be playing like the local radio station in the car 
And I got them into that. So we'd be, you know, jamming in 1995 on the way to school. And they'd also be singing the offspring or something, whatever was coming on the radio. Right. And um, they would always take me to the CD store. I remember <laughs> my dad took me to buy Antichrist Superstar Marilyn Manson. And then we get home yes. and we open up the CD and he's pissing into two tubes that are connected to the other band members mouths with like masks he's like (laughs) what the fuck is this we're going to return it so we returned it that day and then my mom uh didn't know we had bought it so she took me out and bought it for me the next day (laughs) (laughs) not a united front there (laughs) yeah no but they were always super cool with the horror stuff too too like after some convincing you know they let me see halloween and uh all friday the 13th when i was did really they get that did they get that manson was like horror basically i think they didn't really mind the horror they were just like the the the, the, the really grotesque like sex stuff i think is what bothered okay. them okay like you know pissing into the band members mouths i think is where they draw drew the line <laughs> maybe rightfully so at that young age but i think they figured hey he'd grow out of this stuff and then look you know 25 years later we're sitting here talking about yeah but there uh but you know like it was also um i mean it was super popular too i mean that was like probably the height of manson right there antichrist absolutely i mean it was like was it was it the religious stuff like the kind of satanic overtones like would they have cared about that no because they didn't have any problem buying something that was called antichrist superstar it was it was more just the growth like the the vile stuff that kind of made their stomach turn. And that was the point of it. I mean, if, I mean, that, that's what exactly what Marilyn Manson wanted, you know, he right. wanted the parents to tell you, don't listen to it. Cause you know, it made you listen to it that much more. Right. Um, but then they got it and they, you know, they eventually accepted it. I was, I had a knock loose on here few, few months back and their singer was telling me that his parents, like they basically grew up on his parents, like were always into hip hop. And so his whole life, he grew up listening to his parents playing like Notorious B.I.G. and Tupac and Eminem. And like they could, you know, like they could rap along to the records like while they were driving. And so like this is like how he like he's like, that's what so much of my music was, was like just listening to my parents listen to hip hop. Did you did your parents ever get into anything like that? Like, was that something happening in your house? Well, I definitely uh definitely really like that era of like gangster rap like i like the death row stuff and um like you know tupac and trey and all that stuff that was coming out and my I, my dad would sing along with sipping on gin and juice you know <laughs> he thought it was funny and, and we all liked uh you know the, the comedy movies that were bred from from that era of hip-hop like friday and stuff. yes so we liked all that shit and i knock loose is awesome that band is heavy as shit. Fuck yeah. um, but it's funny. It's funny because there it was probably like 10 years ago when I was working with a producer and we were talking about like patterns of screaming. And, and he was like, well, you know, the, the catchiest patterns look at hip hop. And I and then I was like, oh, shit, you're right. And I'll, I think that really clicked for me that, you know, doing patterns when you're doing screaming, the really sort of compelling stuff is is you can learn a lot from hip-hop you know eminem and that the flows that he has um so i I bet that whether it's conscious or subconscious like a band like knock loose he probably picked up a lot of those patterns from listening to those rap records yeah right yeah Yeah, i can see that i can see that 
Hey everyone, I want to take a break from the interview for a second to give you a word from our sponsor, MartyrStore.net. Check this out. Cannibal Corpse frontman George Corpse Grinder Fisher, who has been a guest on NFR. Go back and check that episode out. It was a great one. Anyway, he's dropping his debut album February 25th. You can pre-order now at MartyrStore.net. The Corpse Grinder self-titled album features 10 brutal tracks plus a guest appearance from Eric Rutan. There are signed CDs, wall flags, hoodies, and even cassettes available now. Vinyl will be available in the summer. Use code ROB, that's my name, R-O-double-B, the R-O-double-B, at checkout and save 10% off your order. Martyrstore.net, and remember to always respect the neck. All right, back to the show. You uh, you guys are going to be playing that, um, man, that fucking When We Were Young festival just, like, exploded like a neutron bomb, right? Like, just uh, all I saw in my feed was fucking, <laughs> holy, I was just on and on, and then we're adding another day. We're adding another day. I was like, holy fucking hell. Dude, the, 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 when I know something as big as when friends of mine who are so far removed from the music scene or anything that like I do. Cause I have a lot of friends that, that, uh, you know, I've kept in touch with since I was a little kid, 10, 11 years old that are not, you know, do not really listen to anything like this kind of music. So when they're texting me that they heard about the festival, like they're more kind of normies, you know, they're not like, you know, going to Ozfest back in the day or right. whatever. Um, and I, I didn't even know we were on it. I think we, a lot of bands didn't, but <laughs> oh, yeah. our, our, our agent did. Like, I think what happened is we were supposed to do a tour in October and that was part of it. So I probably signed off at some point. Um, but it's an unbelievable lineup and uh, I think it's going to be absolutely crazy. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, it's a fucking stacked bill, like just stacked. stacked. Yeah. So stacked. And it represents a lot of the music um, and even some of like the lesser known bands, obviously there's the Paramours and the My Chems, but like bands like Starting Line, uh, you know, Thursday, all those bands that kind of were from that era that I was talking about when I was into, you know, I still am, but when I was really getting into pop punk and post hardcore. So it, uh, it really represents so many of our influences because we're influenced by, like, I think, a, a lot of strange stuff that people wouldn't necessarily expect us to be influenced by. And putting it together you know you know like when we're doing a track i'm like yeah we got to get the less than jake snare tone you know like <laughs> you know one would expect me to be saying that kind of shit but but i was yeah or even like when you get i mean that's what i think i that's how doc coil explained it to me is that that you guys are just like genre mashup insanity and he's like you just got to hear it like it's just fucking you know it shouldn't work but for some reason it, they make it work Doc is the man. Yeah. He's such a great guy and he's been a big ambassador, just always um, speaking about the band and, and pushing, getting the word out. And, you know, that's so awesome to hear that you, you discovered it uh, from Doc. And actually I, I was just in the studio a couple of days ago uh, working on uh, a little uh, feature with them. So I love Bad Wolf. It's going to be a sick song. Right on. Yeah. You, you guys have got, uh, oh, you're doing a feature on the, with Bad Wolves. Yeah. And it's oh, not announced yet, but, but um, yeah, I think it's going to be awesome. It's a great song, and uh, uh, just very, uh, very excited heavy? to be. Present. Like a heavy song or like a singy song or 
It's it's pretty the insane. Fucking new singer's killer, right? Like holy he's shit, he's killing it. And he was in Acacia Strain. I know, right? So like fucking who the like fuck would know? Of the Acacia Strain. Who would know that a, like a deathcore band back in the day would have like a guy who plays guitar that could sing like Chris Daughtry? I yeah. mean, the guy is insane. 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 Oh, he's so rich and like full. And- oh, he's just got it, man. Right. Like Pavarotti or something. <laughs> What's the what's the style of the song? Is it like melodic, heavy? It, it's it's melodic. It's just got like a huge chorus. You know, it's just like one of those soaring ones that you hear the first time and you know you know the melody already. Right. It's just really fun to sing, and um, yeah, I'm really excited about it. Yeah, you got um, you know, take me back to uh, take me back to the early the early Ice Nine days you know i was yeah. you know I, I would when i was researching you for this i was totally surprised to hear you know to find out how long you guys had been around you know yeah. i thought that you were you know not new to the scene like i thought you had like you know two or three albums out but like you actually had you know i was reading your whole discography and i was like fucking hell like where have i been <laughs> i'm so late i'm so late to the ice nine kills party i feel like you know <laughs> but, but you know like a lot of you know, you started out as like a kind of a pop ska kind of band and then slowly morphed into this really heavy, awesome thing along the way. So it, it all really goes back to the fact that I have always been relentless and I've never, if I've wanted something for better or worse, I just don't give up. Like my dad and mom would always say, Spencer, you're relentless. No, you can't have a paintball gun. It's too dangerous. I would beg and beg and blah, 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 blah. And eventually I would get the paintball gun um, after persistence. And, and that's how I treated the band. It, it's a very unusual story in the sense that this is the only band I've ever been in. Like yeah. as far as like that has written our own songs. You know, I was in cover bands and stuff with my friends uh, that eventually sort of morphed into Ice Nine. And it really started um, from doing the cover band and, and loving the, you know, the, the, the punk and ska music that we were into at the time, Goldfinger, Lesson Jake, Real Big Fish. And um, I went to see, before I formed the band, I went to see a Goldfinger concert. It was the first time I'd ever been to the Worcester Palladium in Massachusetts, which I'm, sh- which I'm sure you've yep. played it many times. And um, I what's never the, seen... Uh, what's the big Goldfinger song? What's the, um... Here in Your Bedroom was huge. Uh, Here in Your Bedroom. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As yeah. well as... 99 red balloons that cover was also really popular and um a super big fan and we went to the show and uh you know the first thing that uh, the singer john did right when he got on stage was he jumped into the crowd and i i I just never seen that especially on the first song he's got the mic and he's singing and they were so tight and so awesome and then uh there's one song they do mabel where everyone from the crowd they invite to get on stage so i got on stage and uh, the singer like hands me the mic for one part in the song, and I sang it. And I don't know, there's something about that show that was just like, fuck, like, I really want to do this. Like, I really want to write my own music. I really want to tour. Let's make it happen. So my friend Jeremy Schwartz I mean, that's I do- what a fucking, that, that's like one of your first times on stage is like singing, <laughs> just like, yeah. Yeah, I handed you to sing it. Fucking, yeah. That's crazy. And I have been that's to awesome. other, I have been to like other big, big shows, like arena shows, like, 
Um, like I said before, family values. And I had seen the Smashing Pumpkins on like Melancholy. But this was the first like club show, right. you know, where you're like right up next to the band. And I formed the band right there with my friend Jeremy. And, you know, we did what we thought was right at the time. We, we recorded a bunch of demos. We went to Staples and got folders back in the day when you would, you would have physical press kits, you right. know, put the sticker on front, bio in the, in the front page, the CD, like our stat list. And we just sent them to every label. It's like, okay, well, I read that like, that's how Newfound Glory got signed or something, <laughs> expecting to hear back. And uh, needless to say, no one uh, did get back to us. Um, and we just played a ton of shows. You know, we became like, popular at our high at our like uh high school you know playing at like the school dances oh shit playing, oh. yeah like the vfws and uh just work really really so hard you could tone and, it down a little bit for the school dances because you probably couldn't play super crazy songs there right exactly and that time we were we were, we were more in the lines of like socal punk you know right, so it wasn't right. like really heavy um and as our musical tastes um sorted to expand and we got into heavier stuff uh, we, you know, the band has always sounded and uh, reflected what, what we listened to at the time. So we started incorporating um, heavier elements, um, but still like in the background, like no band, no one would sign us. And we're like, why aren't we good? Like we can't, can't get on the warp tour. We can't get any label attention. So, you know, years later, I was like, you know, we're just going to do this on our own. So we pressed our own record. We got in the van. We followed the entire warp tour of 2008. The entire Warp Tour, we snuck in every day, Kevin Lyman, I'm sorry, and uh, we sold uh, CDs with our iPods, so like 10,000 CDs doing that, and wow. just kept building and building. You weren't, and, you weren't playing? No. No. That so we're sounds, walking around. How did you afford all that? That's a lot of fucking... Well, we, 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 we had to, it was like our incentive in order to be able to get gas money, we'd have to hit our quota. My quota was at least like 150 cds a day personally okay so i'd be walking around from 8 a.m to fucking nine o'clock <laughs> going oh you like a day to remember you like devil wears prada like check this out and that's how we built our our, our following wow. at first and really use utilize myspace and um how old are you at this point how old are you at the, this point traveling at that, at that point so yeah. following the work for let's see so i was i was like 20 23 maybe oh, okay. 22 gotcha. yeah. so you were yeah okay yeah, yeah so we I, I thought i'm imagining you being like a 16 year old kid or something no no okay, I, I flash forward a few years right right, right. um and uh because it's a long story um and no that's you know, pretty the, wild though that's fucking yeah. impressive i mean you're not even playing the warp tour you're just following the warp tour selling cds yeah and, it, it, it was a bit the whole band you, it's the whole band is the with whole you. band yeah the whole band everyone because we figured we could cover more ground right so each of us had an ipod back when it wasn't just you know your iphone playing the music an ipod uh two uh, a splitter and two headsets so you could show more than one person at a time we figured we cover more ground that way you know <laughs> and that's really um like the guerrilla marketing uh strategy that we developed uh, that we would even use not on the warp tour. It's like when we would go out and book our own tours. Okay, we're not playing Tuesday through Wednesday. Let's hit the mall and find the kids that want to go to Hot Topic. Oh, let's uh, let's follow the Taste of Chaos for a few days to get to our Chicago show. And you know we'd show up 
and we'd sell like 200 CDs in the fucking line. Wow. Like stuff, that's, stuff like that. The fucking lot of CDs, man. That's a lot of we, CDs to sell to fucking someone who has no idea who your band is. Like you're no just a dude showing up going, Hey, listen, I want to play you my song on my iPod. Like exactly. I can only imagine how many people were like, fuck you. Like get the fuck away from oh, me. So many were like, dude, I'm not putting that on my fucking head. Right. So we saw how many people had worn it during the day in the sweaty sun, you know? Um, and, and, um, a lot of rejection that you uh, handled <laughs> during that time. You had to have thick skin, but we would watch movies like uh, boiler room or like, even like, um, you know, Wall Street and get like pumped up. It's like, get a yes out of them, you know? <laughs> if you were drowning and I threw you a life vest, would you take it? Yes, pick up a copy of the album. Like that kind of like right. mentality. So we became like really good salesmen, which is kind of funny. Um, but, you know, still, no matter what we did, it's like we just couldn't get a label's attention. There were but, some you're, but you're still playing. So like on an off day, though, you might be playing a show or you might even play a show later that night. Yes. Yeah. Okay, and that's also bringing in extra money to like fund everything, yeah. Exactly, but like at the same time, like we were, you know, at that at that stage, you can imagine we were playing for gas money anyway. So our real money and the way we we would get from show to show is like we would just crush CDs and we became really good at it. Um, and then there were some flirtations. Like I remember we um, the guy that managed uh, the red jumpsuit apparatus who had a big hit on Virgin at the time, like. He really liked us and he was kind of taking us under his wing and we met them at the virgin offices and met even jason flom at the time but like there were little flirtations but like nothing nothing went through and um and us being so persistent and, and doing it for so long actually ended up like sort of working against us in a way because no matter how good some of the people thought we were it's like how oh, the band name's been around so long like these guys are shot like that was the perception. Like, yeah, they're, like it's it not did, gonna work. It didn't happen, and so you're kind of like you, you know, yesterday's news or whatever. Damaged goods, so to speak. Yeah, damaged goods. That was yeah. the word I was looking for. Yeah. So it it was a long time. So this by this time, let's say we are like, I want to say like, probably probably member changes during this time. People get oh, frustrated, yeah. frustrated, and like we're not going anywhere. Of course, and, co- and people went to college and, and understandably so. People want to start families. So it's, let's say we're like 11, 10 years in at this point, right? Um, the break that we got is like we, we, we were originally on Artery Foundation management, which is a big break for us, right? They were like at the time, you know, managed Dater member, Devilish Prada, like all the kind of like Rise Core, Victory, like scene bands. They were like the pinnacle. And, uh, they got us to deal with Rise. I got a, I got an email saying, uh, record deal is coming. Craig wants to sign you. We want you into Joey Sturgis. Who, so at that time. Who, who did you get, get signed to? Rise. Oh, Rise. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So Rise sent, uh, was, we were told, was sending us a deal. Like, you know, so stoked. I think I bought a Rise Records hoodie that night. I was like, dude, I'm on fucking Rise, man. <laughs> you know, this would have been like, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, they were the pinnacle of that. So it would have been like, getting signed to epitaph in 90 right right six or five yeah, totally. or something. no i know yeah i mean i i couldn't understand what you said but yeah they were they were killing it right then killing it and then we get we waited deal is coming and it didn't come and they pulled the offer we never found out why they pulled the offer and that was like a big crushing blow and the guy that i formed the band with jeremy that was the last straw for him and he was the guy that i started with and we wrote songs and that was just like crushing when he left so it was sort of like a make or break moment reformed the band got like together what i thought was a really good lineup um and then 
got our manager, who is still our manager to this day, Mike Mowry. He was the only guy that believed in us. Just a really smart oh, so you guy. Changed, you changed management too, huh? Artery dropped us. Oh, geez. Wow. So it was like, it was like a whole that's fucking pretty, Yeah, day. that's pretty rough, man. That's like. It was pretty rough. Yeah. It was like most people would have definitely given up. And uh, we got our manager, great manager, and he fought for us. And eventually we won our way onto the All-Stars Tour, um, which that year in 2012, that's the only good tour we had ever been on to that point. It was like Suicide Silence, you know, the, the huge, huge bands at this time. And um, eventually... You're still, unsigned, you're still unsigned, though. Still unsigned. Still unsigned, but got on the All-Stars Tour. That's fucking pretty huge. It was huge. And, and what we did, we're like, you know what? We're going to fucking make our mark. They're going to remember us on the store. So we, we hustled the shit out of merch and CDs on that tour to the point where I think a couple of days we sold more than Suicide Silence and merch. Wow. And, and we didn't bullshit our merch numbers. Like, you know, you know, bands often say they sold less so they'd have to pay the venue out less. We didn't. We played it straight every day because we wanted the word to go around that we did like two grand or something at the time. That was like, right. what? The opening band did two grand? I mean, what the fuck is going on? Um, and so Suicide word, Silence was a fucking merchandising behemoth. At of course. That point. They were, I mean, this is like the, this is like a Mitch Lucker era tour, right? Yeah, this, this was very sadly was the last one he did. Oh, he died like a few months later. Ugh. Yeah. Which, I mean, he was just awesome on stage. Like, Fucking, insane. Yeah. We did, we did five tours with those guys and he was just so fucking, I mean, I was just saying this to a buddy of mine. We were watching some band and, you know, they had a bunch of buzz and I'm not, I'm not going to say who they are. Like, I'm not going to throw anybody oh. under the bus, but I was just looking at him and I was like, their singers know Mitch Lucker. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like the fucking dude was just so charismatic and the fucking, the stomp and the fucking. Just yeah. It was, I mean, uh, the first time I saw that we played with them at the house of blues um, in West Hollywood, which I wish still existed. I love that venue. It was like right on the strip. And I saw him do that stomp and uh, you know, whoever they had doing their sound at that time, I, he was like the, the best sound guy I've ever heard. When that, when he hit the floor and, and the, 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 the reverb that he would put on the snare for those certain hits is like, this is earth shattering shit, yeah. you know, and Mitch looked like the devil up there. And so commanding, um, yeah, it was, man. So definitely lo learned a lot on that tour from watching him. Um, he, he was a funny cat too, because he was so, um, I don't know if you remember this, but he was very clean. Like he, like if he didn't get a shower immediately after playing, <laughs> he would start having like a freak out. <laughs> like, get a fucking. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I remember he had nice skin, so that makes sense. He did. Very clean. Yeah, he, he was a good look. He was a good looking kid. Like you could see why like all the girls were crazy about him, man. Like, oh yeah, yeah. He, he was like the poster boy. He was too good looking to be like the the, the front man of that kind of band. It just worked perfectly. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we made a real mark on that tour. Um, still, you know, we thought with all these, all this hype, someone would sign us No, crickets, radio silence. So our manager, Mike, uh, he had outer loop management, um, who would manage like, you know, bands like refused and, 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 uh, up and coming bands like became as Romans that had a lot of hype. And he ended up getting a deal to start his own label through fearless records. So it was going to be Outer Loop Records. We were going to do our first 
uh, be the first release to flagship Van and Outerlook Records. And we thought, you know, maybe you know, there's something in the contract, like, you know, in two albums, if it's doing well, Fearless can upstream you. And Fearless, you know, is a big deal. You know, it was, you know, from my youth, you know, it was one of the labels that I sent a demo to in 2001, you know, they're right. like a great punk label. Yeah. And, uh, but like, a, but, you know, attached to Warner Brothers. So like, you know, yes, powerful. Yeah. Powerful shit. And uh, we put out our first record and very quickly after like, we want, we want to, uh, we want to bring you up to Fearless. And I actually, yeah, I mean, I, I actually think there was another band that was like in line to get on Fearless from Outer Loop Records. And that band, for whatever reason, disbanded. So, like, we got we got the slot. I'll fucking take it. And uh, finally got on Fearless. And uh, it was funny because when I was going through a storage locker, like, a couple years ago, I found a rejection letter from Fearless from, like, 2001 when we were a ska band. Like, keep trying. Like, we're not really into it right now, but keep on going. And I sent it to the, uh, you know, the guy that started Fearless, Bob Becker, and he got a real kick out of it. Because, like, yeah, I probably sent that goddamn letter. Right, right. Um, I, lo- I love that you kept the rejection letter. You have to. I I, I kept mine too. I, I was just like, fuck these people. <laughs> like, fuck <laughs> these motherfuckers. <laughs> like, it's good to we, look we, back went through, we went through a phase. We got rejected, you know, with our first album, but then we went through a phase where we were unsigned for a minute, like after our fourth album. And dude, we got rejected by 35 different labels. <laughs> I was Jesus just like, I kept all that shit. <laughs> It's good to remember, right? You guys are on Roadrunner, right? Yeah, we were yeah. at the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that and that was a powerhouse. That yes. was definitely one that we wanted to be on. Um, yeah. Mike Gitter, I remember, was on Roadrunner. I don't know if that was around your time. Yeah, totally. I love Mike Gitter, man. He he Super played a big role in us getting back on. So in we were we negotiated off. We didn't get dropped, but we negotiated off the label because we had all these majors who were just like, as soon as you're off a of Roadrunner, we're gonna sign you. Like we got you. Like you guys, right. should, you should be so much bigger than you are. Sign with us, and we'll. Th-. We're like, okay. So we finally negotiate off, get off, and it's just like, all right, like we're ready to be signed. They're like, slow down. <laughs> <laughs> let's hear some demos let's uh you know how many albums you got four albums geez i don't know like we're just like what the fuck? so it was like that kind of shit and then uh and then mike we we made some new uh we actually started recording we got signed to the european version of uh roadrunner but not the american version and so we sent the tape to mike gitter and mike was paid a pivotal role in us getting back on there because he heard the three songs off of through the ashes uh which is the opening track popular song and and uh he was like this is fucking sick like we gotta get this is fucking amazing like we gotta get these guys back and they were like "Mm, no and so then our record so then our record dropped over in europe and fucking exploded and then they like came back to us like four months later like hey like we're just like oh you mean the songs that you passed on yeah okay it's gonna cost you now (laughs) isn't that funny how that works out yeah uh, sometimes but you just got to go with it. But I, you know, I feel like the reject, I feel like the rejection letters are keeping all that stuff. It's like, it's a nice, it's a nice reminder that, you know, believe in yourself, you know, I mean, as trite as it sounds, it's like, um, that's what, you know, like to, to make sort of an analogy or something similar in the horror world, Wes Craven, who's, you know, one of my favorite filmmakers, right. When he, you know, conceived the idea for Nightmare on Elm Street, every goddamn major movie studio from Paramount to Universal, they all passed. They yeah. told you, they told them, Wes, people are not interested in movies about dreams. 
So they, <laughs> so they made the movie with New Line Cinema, who at the time was extremely like unknown. They would go on to do Lord of the Rings, you know. Right, right. And the movie exploded, and you know Freddy Krueger is like Dracula now. It's like a, this iconic thing. So it's like one of those things where you have to believe in yourself. And you know, if someone tells you it's not going to work, you know, just fucking keep pushing. But what, what are the best Freddy Kruegers to you? Because the there, there was a couple of stinkers there in the middle somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the first one obviously is just you know classic, you know, timeless. It, 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 timeless. And uh, I actually I was just at a wedding uh, for my friend uh, Dead Meat James and Chelsea. They do this YouTube show called The Kill Count. It's this really popular show where they go over horror movie kills. And uh, officiating their wedding was Heather Langenkamp. The, or, the original oh, girl from the movie. That's rad. So I was like, this is fucking cool. You know, it was a wedding of your dreams kind of, a, kind of right, so right. to speak. Um, so part one's amazing. Uh, everyone loves Dream Warriors, um, which is, um, I think, Wes Craven, who had not done the second one, came back and wrote the third one. So it was, oh, okay. it, it had more of his stamp. I also love New Nightmare, which to me was like sort of the precursor to Scream because it was a movie that was very meta. It, it, it was a movie not about the characters from Nightmare on Elm Street, but about the actors that were in the first film. So yeah, the movie accepts Nightmare on Elm Street as a film series. So like, you know, Robert England who plays Freddy Krueger is in the movie playing Robert England. Oh, wow. Okay. Huh. So it's just so dope. Um, and, uh, I really love that one, and I and I love Freddy vs. Jason. I don't know if you can consider that part of Nightmare on Elm Street, but those are those are my favorites. Yeah, I just remember there was one really bad one somewhere in there where like he w became like part of the pizza, and then the pizza. Uh -huh. <laughs> I was just like, okay, man. I was like, I don't know if I can get with this. <laughs> Bon appetit, bitch. Is what he says. <laughs> That's right. I actually have an action figure around here that someone sent me of that very scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, and then like um, we were talking about Mike Gitter, I forgot, but he, he was one of the ones that, that wanted to get assigned to Roadrunner too. But the, right. the company was like, this band is not viable. He came out and saw us and play at like a fucking VFW in like Lindhurst, New Jersey or something. But uh, he's, I still keep in touch with him. He's a great guy. Yeah. So what's your, so what's your first uh, tour that you do like as, as a signed artist now? Is yeah, All Stars. No, the All Stars is before this. That's pre-signing. Um, I think you know once we get got signed to Fearless, I think like a lot of people assume in bands and on the outside. Okay, well the tours are just going to come piling in. These great tours. We're going to tour with all the big bands and Fearless Records, like Pierce the Veil and stuff. And 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 we just we really struggled with getting great tours. Um, and bands didn't think, you know, didn't really like our sound or whatever, but there were a few bands that I still to this day always thank and always really respect, like Attila, like Icy Stars, like, like Moths to Flames, Color Morale. Those are bands that were ahead of us, and they, they were like, you know, we love these guys. We're going to take them out. So those bands really helped us out. Um, but we released our first album on Fearless, Every Trick in the Book, and it was the first time we had ever done a concept record. This album was based on literature, not like necessarily a traditional concept record, but a record with a theme, you know, where every song is based. And that really opened our eyes to, wow, I think this is 
this is what we're made to do. We kind of take stuff that we already love and kind of give it our own treatment. And people really responded to that. I think it was like one of those things that easily translated through word of mouth, like, hey, there's a band that does a song about this book that you love. And um, the album sales were really good. And we thought, okay, now the tours are going to start rolling in. But still, there was nothing. I think there was still that perception that the band was like been around too long. And um, even when we'd have these really great times on Warp Tour, where like we were drawing one of the biggest crowds on the monster stage, which was like the heavy band stage, it just seemed like people still in the industry viewed us as like, ah, oh, they're a little bit shot. We're not going to put them on the tour. So that was like the only time in the band's history after that and being so disappointed about having success and still not getting any credit for it and getting the good tours. And it's like, fuck, like, you know, you know, I'm fucking, you know, at this point, 30, like, is this, at what point can we really do this? Cause we weren't really going to make any money. How much longer? And um, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it another shot here. Cause I love it so much. And I thought the next natural progression is my other greatest love besides music, horror movies. I want to do what we did with every trick in the book, but I want to do it a song about Halloween, about Friday the 13th, about Texas Chainsaw. And a lot of people, like whether on the business side or like family were like, yeah, you just did one about books. Like, you know, take a break from the theme thing. Don't do it about movies. I was like, no, I want to do it. And that right, like how like how how difficult is it to get your band on board with this? Like probably some dudes are just like, what? Like that sounds fucking corny as fuck. Yeah, exactly. Like, it could be like not the saying that it would be, but it could be corny as fuck. Exactly. And and a lot of them like didn't think it was the right move. And and uh, my argument to the corny thing was like, well, these movies like are inherently cheesy, so. If it comes out really cheesy, it'll just look like it's intentional. They're like, oh, okay, that's a good point. <laughs> so, um, so we we did it, and uh, I think the reason, part of the reason why people responded to it is because you know, outside of just like the marketing of like, oh, that's a really good like word of mouth pitch to your friends, like, dude, you like horror? This band, you like metal? This band does both. I think on a cellular level. I am so passionate about the genre and about these films and I'm, and I'm obsessed with them from like a fan perspective that was so fun to make and fun. You can hear that on the record. And I think when you create something that's made with people that love it and are having a great time, that like breeds like this fun energy. Yeah. And I think that, you know, consciously, subconsciously, that's why that's part of the reason why it worked. And uh, so stoked that, for, you know, a lot of people, most people are like, oh, I love horror movies. And this was like the band that, that kind of really brought those things, two things together. But we hear a lot like, you got me into horror movies. Oh, shit. You know, like I didn't li like, I liked them, whatever, but like I'm obsessed with them now. Or you got me into metal. I love horror movies and I didn't listen to this kind of music. So there, there is that like crossover. And, um, you know, we put a lot of thought, a lot of time into the music videos, into tying um, the, the, the stories that these movies are about with our own story. We're like, I'm going to a therapist and uh, I'm having these dreams about these horrible actions. And when I'm explaining my dream to my therapist, it goes into the, to the music video and the music videos are my dreams. Um, and it just seemed to really 
really connect with people. And then we started to see the tour offers. Then we started to see tons of kids coming out to the shows, not just kids, but like families, you know, people in their forties and fifties, bringing their little kid dressed as Georgie from, from it or dressed as Michael Myers. Right. Right. And the, you know, uh, serious radio really got behind the band. Like, uh, uh, Vinny and Jose are, happened to be, not that we knew this, they happen to be huge horror movie fans. Yeah. So they fucking loved it and they really pushed and the label did great and our management and, um, our manager ended up, um, you know, kind of dis, um, dismantling outer loop and, you know, moving up to 10th street management and 10th street really loved us. And, you know, their company that works with some of the biggest bands in rock. So it was all, um, and we, we, um, got this who's, great who's on 10th street. Who's on 10th street. So it's like, uh, Papa Roach, right. uh, Five Finger, Finger, Death Punch, yep, yep, yep. Doc and Bad Wolf. Bad Wolf yep, cool. Um, so we hooked up with 10th street and, uh, uh, Chris Nielsen, who's one of our other managers, really smart guy, our lawyer, Eric German, uh, you know, we started working with Drew Falk to produce our records and we just built this really great team around the band. And it sort of all led up to this moment of this last record where I was like, dude, I know some people think it's a cop out to do the same thing for this next record. But in, how, in, in horror movie history, and just like Stu says in Scream, you've got to have a sequel. And so it just kind of worked perfectly. And uh, I thought it would do well. I thought our fans would love it. But I didn't think that it would like explode the way it did. Um, and uh, I'm just really excited to be along for the ride. Yeah. I mean, what a wild ride. It's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. Thanks, man. Thank you. Yeah. It is. Tell me, tell me, uh, was there some, you know, you're touring with Attila when you're pretty young, maybe even single. Like, those dudes are fucking well-renowned ragers. Like, you know, <laughs> the fucking, I forget the singer's name, but, you know, he's got his Wrong. own, like, only, yeah. <laughs> What's that? Franz, yeah. Franz, Franz, yeah. Franzila. He's got his own like uh he's got his own like OnlyFans page that's just fucking out of hand. Is, were you just out of hand, out of control on the Attila tour? I think you you know that that vibe definitely bleeds over a little bit to the partying they do, but it, it, it's definitely a little bit more exaggerated in the videos. Okay. But those guys are fucking cool, and uh, it definitely was a party. It was yeah. a rager. But I, you know, not not like Motley Crue in '87 on the strip raging, but it right. was fun. Right. Do you guys... A lot of times we played like we play like a college town and a college bar, and after we play the bar, it would like you know change into a big club, you know, in one of the big party towns. So it got some got wild on some nights. Yeah. yeah. Do you get? Do you, are you guys all sober? Do you drink? Do you? What's your? No, name? none of none of us are sober. Uh, a couple of people on the crew. Um, a lot of the guys smoke, you know, a lot of weed, like Dave Chappelle level weed. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, we, we we're not we're not too crazy because we're we're getting a little bit older. You know, everyone's like in their thirties now, and uh, you know, to 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 put on the good shows at this age, you know, it's like one thing when you're twenty one, like yeah, I'll stay out to fucking four, and yeah, you know, uh, but you know, when you get to this age, like you know things start creaking a little bit and you gotta gotta stretch out so oh, yeah i mean listen there's 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 nights wait, wait till you're a like, dinosaur like me <laughs> well you still look healthy and good though I, i'm still healthy and good yeah yeah we're, we're killing it but yeah like sometimes you wait all i want to do after a show is sleep <laughs> i'm like fuck i'm tired 
same, man. I knew I was getting old when it's like getting out of my car now is a little bit of like, oh, I gotta get out, holding on to the wheel and the window. But uh, I would say like if it was like back in the day it was like 50% partying, 50% just, you know, kicking it and chilling. Now it's more like 80% chilling and like 20%. Like, oh, we got a day off. Let's, let's see. We're in Amsterdam. Let's go out. Right. Yeah. Let loose that. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, we're, we're not too crazy anymore, except for all the, you know, the dead people that are, you know, stored in the, in the bus and, the, and you know, the, the junk bunk. The, the junk bunk and the bays. The bays. That's really the bays. Uh, Lars Ulrich from Metallica has a theory that the reason that so many people love the Black Album and Master of Puppets is because they lost their virginity to those records. <laughs> And that, you know, the whole, you know, listening to music while having sex for the first time, like those songs are permanently part of those people's DNA. And uh, I was wondering what is, if if there was one, what is the song that you lost your virginity to? And paint paint the scene for me. I, you know, I don't think there was any music playing, but if I was going to choose a Metallica record to lose my virginity to, it would be loved. <laughs> and then and then later on the night reload <laughs> so no music was a horror movie playing or something in the back? definitely more dude definitely more horror movie stuff because like where we recorded all of our music back in the day was in you know my mom's basement and the the basement was like the debauchery area like my mom would never come down there we could get away with fucking murder down there so this, and we'd this, have, is where, this is where you got laid for the first time in the basement definitely basement uh, in Swampscott, Massachusetts. And, uh, we'd always just have, uh, like splatter movies playing, you know, you come over my house and, you know, maybe like, you know, the wedding, everyone was watching like the wedding singer at the other people's houses, which is a good film, but we'd have like, yeah, we'd have like slumber party massacre playing or something like that. So right, right, right. that definitely was conducive to, uh, to, uh, all that, that. The, that got the ladies in the mood, huh? <laughs> oh yeah. Slumber all the screaming. Massacre. Because <laughs> the 80s, you know, everyone is like, no one's wearing anything. Um, right. Ton of nudity, really offensive stuff. It just really gets sets the mood. Right? The Wedding Singer is the Adam Sandler, uh, Drew Barrymore flick, right? Great movie. Yeah, it is a great movie, man. I, I got to say, I think I fell in love with Drew Barrymore in that movie. She's so cute, and uh, she's just got a great personality. Um, and I loved her from Scream. I mean, that was like where I fell in love with her or Poison Ivy, if you remember that, that series. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she's just still seems awesome. She's got her show now and she just seems like a very nice person. She does. She just entered. Uh, she just inducted uh, the Go-Go's into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And if you haven't seen it, it's on. It's still on HBO. It's I, I don't normally watch those things, but a buddy of mine had reached out and he was like, dude, did you see the LL Cool J performance? And I was like, no. And I like, I like LL a lot. So he was like, you got to, he fucking destroys everybody. And I was like, really? He was like, dude, fucking watch it. And so I was like, all right, I watch it. And fucking LL Cool J, dude, blew the fucking roof off of that place. Oh. I mean, like fucking, I was like, oh my God, brings Eminem out. Like, and uh, so I continued to watch it. Foo Fighters get inducted and, but then he, uh, but then they bring up Drew Barrymore and she inducts the Go-Go's and she's like in full Go-Go gear. Like she dresses. I mean, it was a really 
genuine. She was like, this was the band when I was six years old that like I was a go-go. I dressed the, I, every, I knew every lyric. I could do every dance move. I could reenact every video. You know, it was, it was a really genuinely uh, like a super fan moment for her. And it was fucking, it was cool. I mean, if you, if you're into checking it out, you know, it's worth the 10 minutes that of your life that it would be, you'd probably dig it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's sort of rare. I think usually like another musician inducts people. So that's cool that, that Drew got to do it. She's, yeah. she's just, and she's very smart. You know, um, a lot of people might think, oh, you know, blonde actress in Hollywood who came, came from, you know, her father was a, or grandfather uh, was a huge actor, but she is really a bright, uh, talented woman who, um, who, who, uh, you know, she's in the opening scene of Scream, which is iconic. But what a lot of people don't know is that it was her idea, because she was originally supposed to play Sidney Prescott, which is like the main the, the part that Nev Campbell plays and be in the whole movie. But it was her idea. Let me just do the first scene. No one will expect that I'm going to die. Because she right. was the big star that right. they marketed right. the movie with. And it was so shocking that she died in the first scene that everyone in the theater was like, well, if she dies, it's like all bets are off. And that was her whole idea behind it, sort of an homage to Psycho and like them killing off a Janet Lee very early on. So I think doesn't she have a, a horror series now too, where she's like a killer or like her partner's a killer or something? Yeah, with the uh, Oliphant, that guy. I can't remember what it was, yeah. but it, I think it is horror. I haven't. Yeah, seen it. I've I watched a few of them. Me and my wife watched a few. So yeah. Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. Well, dude, I uh, I've really enjoyed this conversation man same man i'm glad that you invited me on it's an honor to be chatting with you yeah yeah totally i mean i you know i, I think that one of the coolest things about you know the pandemic and whatever is you know t this type of stuff you know prior to the pandemic i didn't even know what zoom was <laughs> like i mean knew what skype was i knew what skype was but like you know zoom and like doing an interview like that like to be able to talk to people like you and i might have run into each other at a festival at some other place, but we wouldn't have had a conversation like this. You know, we would have been like, Hey, how you doing? Cool. You know, whatever. Right. You know, so it's been awesome to have you on here, man. Thank you for having me dude. Anytime. Yeah. Hopefully we'll overlap on, on a festival and get to hang out in person someday. Well, I'm, I'd love, I think you guys are coming to the Bay area, San Jose or something like that. Sometimes yes. with the, uh, yeah. Why don't you give a shout out to your tour? That's about to happen. That's a, that's yes. a sick bill. Yeah, so we're doing the Trinity of Terror tour. It's uh, Ice Nine Kills, Black Veil Brides, and Motionless and White. It's like this triple co-headliner, which I've never really heard of a triple co-headliner. Are you guys rotating? Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Cool. So like in different markets, uh, uh, we'll be playing at different times. But uh, yeah, dude, come out to the San Jose one. Just get in touch with us and uh, you yeah. know, put you and a friend on the list, whatever you need. Awesome, man. Awesome. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen... Right there, the mighty, mighty Spencer Charnas from Ice Nine Kills. No fucking regrets. No fucking regrets! With Rob Flynn.